Now read the text of the, the message this morning, John 21, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of God. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. <clears throat> when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we understand our task as Christians in the world, we always ask the question, but how does that look in practice? It's fine to have regular preaching and foreign and local mission, but we need to be able to support the ministry of the gospel. We understand that the need to have we understand the need to have deacons, but the deacons need the financial support of the congregation to carry out their task. It's great to know our responsibility as parents to raise our children in the fear of the Lord, but to, fil to fulfill this task, to operate schools, to, to be faithful, parents need to work. They need to make money. It's great to be active politically. But we need to be able to support our lofty aims as well. To fulfill our task as parents, as living members of the church, as citizens of our country, we need money, don't we? Obedience depends on our resourcefulness, right? The mission of the church depends on our success in business and our contributions. Isn't that the way it is? 
Now, if we look at our text, we can see two scenes, two pictures, two scenes in the history of the church. The first scene is some fishermen who are working hard. They're fishermen by trade. They're in their boats. They're in the darkness, working hard, and they produce nothing, not a single fish. The second scene in John 21, 1 to 14, is at the dawn of, of a new day, and our Lord Jesus is offering fish and bread to the same fishermen who now have a pile of, of, of large fish, 153 large fish behind them. You can see the two scenes. And what's the message of the text? Why did John include it in here? Although attempts have been made to connect this text to the number of fish uh, described in Ezekiel 47, and lots of writers have written about all the cool things you can do with the number 153. I'll give you one example. Augustine mentioned there's, there's 50, three times 50, uh, 50, 50, and 50 plus three, so the number points to the Trinity. And then he could even show that 153 is uh, the sum of one unto 17. And 17 is a, apparently a triangular number. So he tells us the text is, is proclaiming the Trinity. And although we have interesting descriptions of the number 153, we really need to look at the contrast between the two scenes in their context. And then we can see that the message of John 21 is that the Lord Jesus helped their disciples, helped the disciples with their earthly needs. By helping the disciples in this way, the Lord Jesus also teaches us as church to depend on him completely for, the, for our task in this world and to realize that he actually doesn't depend on us to do his work. The task of the church will only have success when it is done with the blessing of, of the head of the church, the Lord of the harvest, the King of the universe. And thankfully, we can trust that he will accompany us with his loving care, even when we are facing practical challenges. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. The Lord Jesus gives his disciples 153 fish and assures us that he sustains the church in her task. We'll see the practical challenges and God's providential care. So our text begins by explaining the reaction of the disciples to the command of our Lord Jesus to go out and be witnesses in the world. Jesus said, go out and be witnesses and now we see how they responded to that. We learn that they were near the Sea of Tiberias in verse 1. That's also known as the Sea of Galilee. And that's where they were originally called to be disciples and could be, very well be where their homes were found. It looks like they left the locked room in the peace of our Lord Jesus and they returned to Galilee to wait to see the Lord Jesus again to begin their task. Chapter 2, we see, or verse 2, sorry, in verse 2, we see that John lists the seven disciples who were together. We notice then that Thomas was there, and we remember the history that we read in the, the previous chapter about him. Nathanael 
is the man that the Lord Jesus met just before going to the wedding in Cana. You can read about him in chapter 1, verses 46 to 49. You might remember when the Lord Jesus said, I, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree. And now we read that he actually was from Cana and that he is still together with the disciples. It makes us uh, careful when we try and list exactly who the disciples of Jesus were. As would be expected in the region by the lake, we find the sons of Zebedee, James and John, together with Simon Peter, men who had left their boats, their nets, and their families to enter into the new vocation, the new calling of training to be fishers of men. We learn from the verses after our text that we will see next week that Peter may still have been in doubt about his relationship to the Lord Jesus. But even so, and perhaps because of this doubt, we see in our text a man who wants to prove his loyalty by his action. Peter tells the other he's going fishing. Now it looks like he wants to get away for a bit to relax. But when a fisherman, by trade, says he's going fishing, that means he's going to work. So I'm going to work, is what, what Peter said. Not, I'm going to go relax for a bit. Peter said, I'm going to work. And, and the other disciples go with him. And so the seven, seven of them climb into a boat. And they found some ruins of a boat on the Sea of Galilee. It, it was the ruins of that boat, were a 27-footer by about seven and a half feet. So you kind of get a picture of the seven men entering into this boat. And they, they enter the, the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, and, and they drop the net to catch some of the many varieties of fish, among which we, we can read also about a fish called the Tristamella Simonis that's actually even named after Peter. And so we see the disciples entering into this boat, all seven of them, and, and they're giving it all their care and labor. They're working uh, with all their might. They fish all night long, and Peter even has removed his, his outer cloak and, and is said to be naked. Probably still had a, a loincloth on. And they are thinking about their mission. They are thinking about the need to start in Jerusalem and go to the, to the ends of the earth. And they, and they need money. They need some financial resources to do this. And they haven't gotten it. And they work all night, and they get nothing. And the questions start coming up. Will, will this enterprise work? Are, are we ready to even start? That experience is common in the church as well. It's, it's something common we see today. At some point, we have to think, is, will it work practically? The worker needs to eat and live. Now, we aren't talking about extra social projects, but, but projects that are the direct responsibility of the church by the command of Christ and his word. The Lord Jesus says, go and do something. And then when we start to do it, we, we find that, that it seems to be too much. Right now, in, if you look and, and you read about what's happening in Brazil, or you read about what's happening in China and, and Indonesia, it's, it's a literal explosion uh, of the gospel. The church is fulfilling her mission to preach. The opportunity for growth and expansion is, is staggering. 
hundreds and sometimes even thousands of people want to learn more about the doctrines of grace. But when we look to the future, we don't have everything in place. We need more men. We need more resources. And it seems sometimes like the practical challenges will get in the way of fulfilling our ministry. Just like the empty nets gave the disciples a gloomy prospect for their work in the future. And when we consider the economic downturn in the past few months in our own province, we may worry about how we may sustain another church in our area. If we, if we get to that point, you could still already hear people speaking that way. When we consider the movement to defund private and also then Christian schools, a debate that is literally raging in our provincial legislature, we may wonder how we will be able to continue to be faithful to our task as Christian parents, our task in, in Christian education. We need resources to serve the Lord faithfully to fulfill our task. There are always valid, practical considerations and challenges and often our situation looks a lot like that first scene in our text. A bunch of guys working hard in their own strength, seeing that, that need, that dependence on, on catching some fish, convinced that in the area of getting resources, they are the experts. If we want to get it done, we, we need to do it ourselves. We need to get this stuff together. It, become worrisome. it can become worrisome. It looks like that, that, that first scene, and, and then when we look at that first scene, we, we, we see empty nets. That's how the Lord Jesus finds them when he appears to them early in the morning. The first word he uses, uh, we read friends. It should be understood in the sense of, of, of little friends or, or dear friends or children, treasured students. Our Lord Jesus is, is looking at these expert fishermen, and he sees them as inexperienced fishers of men. And so he is very gentle with them. Children, have you caught, you haven't caught in anything, have you? He, he asks the question in, in, in a way that shows that he is expecting a negative answer. And he doesn't even, he doesn't say fish. He, he says, uh, friends, you, you haven't a single thing to, to eat, have you? He emphasized that there's, there's really nothing. My friends, you haven't caught something to eat, have you? It's a question that makes them think. It's a question that shows the, the stark contrast between the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter after the Lord Jesus' miracle. You did not manage to supply what you need for yourself now, did you? <clears throat> so the Lord Jesus points to a, a very common confusion <clears throat> that exists about who sustains who. Now we're not very confused when we don't have the means to support ministry, but we tend to get more confused when we do have the means to support ministry. He, thinks us, he makes us think about how much the necessary ministry and work of the church actually depends on us, on man. 
And even when things are going well and we do have enough to res uh, resources to obey what the Lord commands and obeys, it's not uncommon to see the men who are holding the purse strings to think that the work of the church actually depends on them. But then the Lord humbles us. And Jesus' question already makes it clear that we shouldn't look to the wrong source for help. As we, we think about the practical considerations, we begin with prayer. We begin in humility. We, we recognize who we are and how much we depend on our Lord for his providential care. The miracle and the meal that follow give us another perspective. And so we see that a new day is dawning. It's a theme that you see running all the way through Luke, the theme of, of darkness and, and light. Right at the beginning, the Lord Jesus is presented, revealed to us as, as the light of the world that shines in the darkness. Outside of him in the darkness are the Jewish leaders who depend on their own works. There are the traitors who, who sneak out of, of communion meal with our Lord to do their dark work. But in the Lord Jesus, there is light. And, and we, in that theme, we see here that a new day is dawning. The Holy Spirit makes mention of that. He, he makes a point to have that recorded. We can expect new things from our Lord Jesus on the shore. And he commands his disciples with a very simple command. He says, uh, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some, some fish. It seems like a, a very strange suggestion. It's coming from a stranger on the shore that they didn't even recognize. And it raises lots of questions when we read this, and, and it's good to read the Gospels and see ourselves there. It raises lots of, of, of questions. Had they only tried fishing on the left side of the boat until then? Why would they listen to this stranger? Does it, does it make a difference which side the net is? Wouldn't you just swerve your boat? But perhaps they remembered the similar incident that we can read in Luke chapter 5. And the Lord Jesus had told them this already during the ministry. One time they fished all night long and he said, throw your net in. They said, Lord, we've fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And, but they obeyed. And at that time, two boats were filled to sinking with fish. So perhaps that was in their mind. They'd seen something like that before. We, we don't know the exact details. We read that they obeyed. And then we read that so many fish were trapped in the net that the disciples weren't strong enough to, to haul the net in. And later we read that there were exactly 153 fish. Now we don't know how strong the men were. We don't know how they were positioned in, in the boat and how many could, could help uh, to, to haul the net in. We don't know what kind of fish uh, they pulled out. But we do know that a, a small 14-inch trout or perch weighs about a pound. We could do all sorts of calculations. So three-pound fish would be about 459 pounds. But John doesn't tell us the, the weight of the net or, or why they weren't strong enough to pull it in. He wants us to see there was an abundance. And even for these fishermen, they were, they were surprised. They, they were astonished at the amount of fish 
the Lord Jesus supplied. The emphasis here is on the abundance of our Lord Jesus Christ. 153 large fish. No one could, could, they couldn't even lift it into the boat. It's more than they expected. It was clearly, clearly a miracle. And so then John, based on that catch, he concludes, he said, that, that must be the Lord. That must be the Lord. And so Peter, we read, he puts, he puts on that outer cloak and, and he jumps into the water so that he can rush ahead of the boat to, to be there and to talk to the Lord Jesus on the shore. Peter may have denied the Lord Jesus earlier, but now he makes it clear that he recognizes the, the Lord Jesus' power. He recognizes that Jesus is Lord and he is reminded once again, like he also said in Luke 5, uh, he, reckon, he recognizes one more time that he's a sinful man. Peter demonstrates his love for the Lord Jesus when he enters into that water, his desire to serve him, to be a fisher of men. And the others we read also came to shore, towing that net full of fish with them. And then they get to shore, and, and what did they find? What did they find when they got to the shore? Verse 9 tells us they came to shore. The Lord Jesus was there. He had a fire of burning coals or perhaps a charcoal fire. And on top of the fire, there's some fish and some bread, food. And then he tells them to go get the fish that they had just caught and to bring them. And that's when they, they're astonished even more that the net hadn't broken 153 fish that fish could supply the disciples and their families with food and also perhaps could be sold in the market to, to help them in their ministry. They didn't have to worry about the future, the practical concerns. The Lord Jesus took care of that. And as they're, they're looking at these fish and they're, they're, they're thinking about the possibilities, the Lord Jesus calls them over to eat something, to have breakfast. And he serves them bread and fish. Now the Lord Jesus mentioned, or sorry, John mentions that they all knew that it was the Lord, even though they may have felt uncomfortable to ask him for sure. And John tells us this so that we understand what we're seeing, that we understand the significance of the scene before us. The meal was a sign of, of fellowship and friendship. It was a sign of, of peace it was a physical reminder of the peace that they had with God Almighty, with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The last time that Peter stood around a charcoal fire, a fire of burning coals, he was warming his hands and busy denying the Lord Jesus. The last time we read about that. And now the Lord Jesus' response is to promise and to show that he is the Lord who forgives sins, forgives the sins of, of, of the scared and the weak. The meal of bread and fish is also a reminder to the church of the Lord's miracle in John 6, where he fed 5,000 people with bread and fish. It connects the two. It's very clear. I don't depend on you. I don't need you. The kingdom will continue. I, I'm able to, to take care of the growth of the kingdom. I am the Son of God. I'm the risen Lord. It is I who has communion with you, and I give this bread and fish to show my grace to you. 
He's the Lord who shows his love for the church by seeing to their earthly needs. And we can also see this in the Old Testament. The Lord's love goes beyond just promises, goes beyond just words. It's a tangible, it's a, it's a visible love that we can see in his providential care. When we look to Psalm 50, for example, God makes the order of things very clear. He says, we're not sustaining him with our offerings and our our sacrifices. But he says, I am the Lord of every animal in the forest and the cattle on a thousand hills. The Lord is the source of all our earthly needs. Our offerings are a reaction to his grace toward us. It's interesting to see the same promise for the future in our text. In a way, we could say that the Lord Jesus gives the the first fulfillment of, of the promise of the new temple that we read in Ezekiel 47. Just as the living water flows from the temple to provide an abundance of fish for the men standing alongside the river fishing, So also the new temple, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, provides an abundance of large fish for those who trust in him and who will go out with him. Yet clearly, the meaning of Ezekiel 47 goes beyond just the care of our earthly needs. For in the same gospel, the Lord Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to living water that will take away all our thirst. The disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out and they knew that in him and through him there would be an abundance. A spiritual harvest was very abundant. We are a few Sundays away from the celebration of Pentecost. and May 15th is the day of Pentecost. The beginning of the great reversal of the direction in mission. Leaving from Jerusalem, the disciples would go out preaching the gospel of Jesus' resurrection. And then as we look to the accounts of of Jesus' work through them and in the book of Acts and in the letters, the epistles, we can see that with the preaching, as the Holy Spirit is leading his church to go out, he isn't doing that just with the preaching, he's also doing that in a practical way, in the deed. The Lord Jesus is with his church in word and in deed. He he wants his church to reflect this to the world as well. You just look at Acts 3. It's a great example of that. There's, There's a man who is crippled, and then they preach to him. That's the word. And then they then they also heal him. That's the deed. The preaching and the mercy go together. Acts 6. Gives another example. The men were out preaching. The apostles were preaching and they didn't have time to to care for the widows. But that's important enough for them to to appoint men, to to take care of of the needs, to serve at the tables. The principle is explained clearly in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. As we have richly been supplied by our Lord Jesus, both spiritually and physically, we also must be richly generous as we support the ministry of the gospel and the general well-being of those around us, especially those who belong to the household of God. You can see why in the form for the ordination of deacons, there's a connection between the Lord Jesus' miracles and the work of the deacons. That ministry of mercy, that love for the the, the needs, the earthly needs of those around us is is part of the ministry of the church. 
as we stand in Christ's love and see this providential care toward us, when we look at what he all gives us so that we can fulfill our task, then the Holy Spirit also works in us to, to want to show generosity to others. Christian love is, is practical love. Christ's work is also evident in the work of the deacons. Mercy reflects Christ's love. We are generous with our donations to the ministry of the gospel, to the needs of others, because we understand that Christ Jesus shows his love and care to the world also through our hands. You can use an example of this. One time in the Latin American countries, it's common to have people coming to the door asking for food or for money to help them or to get a bus fare to get to the city or something. And they come and, and they, they ask you, can you please give me something, uh, some money so I can get some food or I can get some medical help. And every time this happens, we, we, we talk about the Lord and, and I ask you, are you members of a church? And, and many times they say, yes, yes, we're, we're faithful Christians, we're members of a church. And we ask, well, do you have deacons in your church? Yes, yes, we have deacons in our church as well. And it's so sad. They're in the church, suffering physically, uncomforted, without the basic needs. And they think that's what Jesus Christ is all about, that, that he says stuff, but he doesn't show mercy. That's not the way it is at all. And our text highlights that point. He sends us to do our task, but he sustains us as well. And he does that through the church as well. So we pray every day that we may, that God will give us our daily bread. I think the catechism students memorizes this petition and what that means, that God will give us our, our daily bread, that, that our care and our labor cannot help us even a little bit without God's blessing. And so we pray that we may have what we need so that we may be generous to those around us. That's the Lord Jesus working through us. That's the Lord Jesus seeing the earthly needs of those around us. That's the, the Holy Spirit working in us so that we can also do what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 28, that we work with our hands so that we may be able to give to those in need. And so we see a great comfort in our text. Our Lord Jesus, risen Lord in all his power, was able to send 153 fish to go into a net just like that. The same Lord Jesus who said he would be with the church through, through all the ages, he says he will be with us with his grace and his spirit and peace, but we see also with his providential care. He takes care of our earthly needs. That's why we can sing Psalm 37 after the service. We'll sing it together. God takes good care of those who on his help depend so that the just are not forsaken and their children are not begging. In stanza 11 of the same song, we're gonna sing about how God takes care of his church by providing his people with what they need to be generous with their gifts. When we are faithful, when we obey him in our task, we can trust 
that he will provide us with the earthly needs we have in order to fulfill our task. That's what our Lord Jesus teaches us in the passage we read today. So the ministry of the gospel and the expansion of the church through mission, what are we gonna do? We can go forward in faith. Christian education, we can trust that our Lord Jesus knows our needs and will give us what we need when we are faithful. And how can we be sure? Because the Lord Jesus gave his disciples 153 large fish. And actually even more than that, perhaps the the theme should have been 154 or 155 because when they got to the shore, he he was there and he, he gave them also the fish that was on his fire. He gave them the support of their earthly needs together with a meal of fellowship, of peace. We celebrate the same fellowship with our Lord Jesus every Sunday and visibly even in, in a meal. We can be assured that he is with us when we are faithful in our task, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's now sing of that Psalm, Psalm 37.